Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for gathering us all together and speaking to our hearts and encouraging us to be here today. Oh, man, we want to hear your voice. (laughs) Oh, we want to hear your words. We want to be in your presence so we can experience that fullness of joy this morning. And we thank you for this invitation that you have given us. You have invited us into your presence. You have invited us to know you. You have invited us into this wonderful journey with you that you get to define for us, that you get to explain to us, and that you lead us. Thank you for that. Thank you for shepherding our hearts, for being the great shepherd and leading us into pastures that do bring us joy and rest and peace and a greater understanding of who you are, Chris. That's why we're here, to worship you corporately, to give you all praise and all glory and all honor, but we can't, we can't move from this place if we do not hear from you. So speak to us this morning. Empty me of me. Speak only your words. Speak only your heart. This is a sacred moment for us. We are on holy ground. And we want to honor you with everything that is done and said here this morning. And it's not about worrying about disappointing you. It's just about missing who you are. We don't want to miss it. So open our hearts and our minds and our spirits. Convince us of our great need of you. We lay it down. We surrender. We give it all. We ask that you speak to us this morning. Oh, Lord God Almighty, great Father in heaven, Holy Spirit, come now. Speak to us. We're ready. We want it. We hunger for it. We thirst for it. And we are desperate without it. So come now. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Jesus, in the last night that he spent with the disciples, he prayed this wonderful prayer. Chapter 17. Verse 20 says, I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they might be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they might become perfectly one.
so that the world might know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Jesus spends his last night with his disciples and he prays for them and he prayed for us across the centuries. And he's not praying for our safety. He's not praying for our prosperity. He's praying that we be one. He's praying that we be perfectly one. Or it means complete. Done. No more can be added to it. This is the heart of our Savior and our Messiah. That we be perfectly one. Not sometimes one. Not occasionally one. But always one. I found find that deeply. moving. Think about it for a moment. What Jesus is asking his Father to do. Think about the things that you've walked through in your life. The good things. The hard things. Most of us have been in a in church for, for a long season in life. We've experienced many different things, and a lot of it hasn't been one. This. A lot of it's been hard. Jesus knew this, and He prayed for us that we would be one. That unity would be something that we would be hungry for. Because God is hungry for unity in His people. God expresses Himself in unity through the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And this is what He wants us to experience, the same kind of oneness. Now imagine this. You've got to stretch your brains and your heart right now because listen to this. God wants to be one with us. Perfectly one. All the time, one. That same kind of love that Jesus and the Father shared, He wants us to share and with the world. This Unity is the greatest evangelistic tool that has ever been invented. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by what? The love that you have for one another. Jesus is praying that that the world sees something so significantly different than what any organization can show on the face of this planet that the world stops and takes notice of it. And it can't help but do it. He's talking about the church. The big C church, and of course every local expression that there is on the face of the planet, he's asking for us to be one. To share in this oneness, this unity that he has with the Father. I'm undone by this. 
I know many of us sitting here today have experienced hard things in churches. There have been a lot of hurts. Today's a day to finally put that away. This is not in my notes. I'm exercising one of the gifts of the Spirit right now. Father is saying this, this morning, there, there, are, there, are, there are things that hurt you deeply. And you have not seen unity in the church. And I'm going to, Father is saying, look, I, I don't mean this to sound hard to you, but it's time to look at what I say about the church and not what you think about the church. See, my son prayed for unity, for oneness. And that's what I see. You need to look at the church the way I see the church. You need to take what you think are whatever you think and think how I think about the church. This is the word that God is saying through these scriptures. If Jesus prayed for unity, that is also our prayer. Jesus died for this unity. Jesus shed his blood for this unity. He sacrificed his life for this unity. And this is what he wants us to embrace. Last week we talked about the gifts of the Spirit. We, we, we went through some of them. We said that the gifts were given for the common good. And the common good meant the attitude of carrying each other, the attitude of working together to collect together in order that we might benefit each other. That was the common good. The common good was having a, a singular mindset, a singular purpose, a singular heart. And that heart really was God's heart imparted into us. And this is how the body of Christ would operate in the gifts for the common good. And then we talked about how the common good, there was no greater common good than the gospel message itself. And it goes back to Jesus' prayer the last night that he spent with his disciples, saying that the world would notice our oneness. The world would notice our unity. They would understand at least what they were seeing was different than anything else that was happening on the face of the planet. And they would finally see the love that God has for the world through that kind of unity. It's amazingly, powerfully, and amazingly simple. And yet, the church, I think, even since its inception in Acts, has had, has had trouble with unity, and that's why Jesus prayed for it before the church even began. He understood, we're human beings. We're frail. We make mistakes. We sin. We rebel. We do all those kind of things. But we, we have to look at it this way. We are human beings, yes. We are part of the human race. But we have a living God inside of us. 
that should make our lives different than any other human beings on the face of the planet. See, prepping for this, this sermon today you know, was wrecking my heart. And I had such a hard time getting ready for it because I went in so many different directions. But this is what God kept on bringing me back to. Yeah, you've got to understand. First of all, it's not about you. It's about my son. It is about my spirit in you. Your life should look different. Your life should be different. It is not about doing things. It is about being someone. And that wrecked me. And it should wreck me. In the sense of wreck all those things that I think what God just spoke to us, you know, the, those preconceptions I have about what church is, what church should be, and, and all those things, and, and say, you know, can we let Father God define what church should be like? And can we allow the Holy Spirit to, to impart those gifts, those spiritual gifts in us, and so that we can effectively minister for the common good and promote the gospel in the world. This is, this is what God is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Talking about the common good. Talking about one body. This is beautiful. Going back to chapter 12, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks and slaves and free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is... The Corinthian church is a diverse church. It just laid out all the different parts of this you know, particular body of Christ. They, they have Greeks. They have Jews. They have slaves coming here. They have free people coming here. He's saying, we're all this, but you know what? We're one body. He's trying to get them to understand that there is no difference here. We are one. And what unites us is the Spirit. And what unites us is these gifts are meant to be used for the common good and to unite us. These wonderful gifts that he lays out here, you know, the, the gift of healing and, and working of miracles and prophecy and distinguishing between spirits and, and tongues and the interpretation of tongues. He's saying all these things, all these different gifts are for the common good and to help you become one. This is what he's saying. And the one spirit. We talked about last week. The word spirit here means puma, the, the very breath of God. It also means one who has been exposed to the wind. And I thought about that last night. I was driving through the storm. And all kinds of debris were flying through across the, my windshield. I mean, I was dozing things. It was incredible, the, the moment. It was really exciting. But it was, uh, it was incredible. And then when I got out of the car, you know, it blew almost everything out of my hands because the wind was so forceful. 
And when I got into the house, it looked like I was someone who had been exposed to the wind. My hair was messed up. Um, <laughs> yes, these little things were messed up, believe it or not. But I did look, I was soaking wet, you know, I had to change, and you know, I looked like one who had been exposed to the wind. See, the Spirit makes us look that way, that we've been exposed to the very breath of God, the very essence of God in us. It makes us look like we've been with Him. See, those little joy moments that you experience, you know what, you look different to people when they, if they observed you. They did. They, they, you know, maybe no one saw you in those moments, but if people were, they would, they would notice. It's not just for us. Remember that the joy moments are not just for us. They're meant to express something through us as well. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. I can always hear Paul laughing here. It's like, you know, because the Corinthian church was messed up. Never he was... They, they were selfish. It was a selfish church. They were self-consumed. You know, and this is a, basically the whole book of Corinthians is telling the church, hey, you know what? Stop being selfish and start loving each other. Right? This is what the message of the Corinthian church is. So he's, I could almost say, like, guys, you know, a foot can't tell that, you know, just listen, this is just wonderful stuff. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the whole body was an eye, where would the, be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body was an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one Paul is saying here that, you know, without oneness, without unity, we lose our effectiveness. There are diseases like muscular dystrophy and other diseases like that where the body tends to lose control of itself. You know, the mind is telling the mouth to speak and yet the tongue doesn't obey what the mind is telling it. And then when it tries to walk, it loses its balance and its ability to, to, to keep upright. It, the, these diseases destroy the, the body and mind's cooperation. And the body becomes less effective. This is the enemy's attack on, on, the, on the church to make us less effective. This unity is like a muscular dystrophy in, in, the, in the church. This is what Paul's saying. He says, you know, you know, you know, just because you're a hand doesn't mean you're not part of the body. I mean, where would the would the, the sense of smell be if we were all an eye? He's saying, look, you're diverse for a purpose. God made it that way. Enjoy the part of the body that God has asked you to be, but remember that you're all needed for the body to be one. You need the hands, the feet, the mind, the heart, the spirit. You need it all to work together. Otherwise, the body does not work. And 
Paul is saying, you, you, stop being selfish here. You know what part you play. Play that part and recognize that your part is very important to the next part. And that part is important to you. And all of you collectively are important because you make up one body. Unity is essential for the health of anybody. We all know as something goes off in our body, and there's many of us here that know it better than some, wow, it gets very difficult. Life gets very hard. It's same spiritually. That's why we need every part of the body to understand what role it's playing, what gift it has, where God has placed it, and we need to embrace that part that God has given us, not to be jealous of another part. They were very jealous of each other's gifts here. He's saying, don't do that. Rejoice in the part that God has given you. Because without that part, the body suffers. Every part is important and necessary for unity to happen. It just is. We want to talk about that Jesus prayed for our unity. Unity is the, how the world sees Jesus through us. I am shuffling my notes because I have gone all over the place this morning. And that's okay. Because I think God wanted to say something in a different way. And that's all right. It's a strange scripture that God led me to. Second Chronicles 30, verse 12. You don't have to turn. I'm going to read it. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered following the word of the Lord. I said, God, okay, that's a, that's a strange scripture to lead me to. It does have the word unity in there, and it does convey what I'm, what I'm working on and what you're working on my heart, but what are you trying to say here? And he says, well, why don't you read Philippians 2.13? I said, okay, I'm going to read Philippians 2.13. So, it is for God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of his good pleasure. I said, okay, I'm starting to understand, but I still don't get it. What point are you trying to make beyond what I think you're the point you're trying? He goes, okay, why don't you go over to Hebrews? So I go to Hebrews 13, verses 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. I said, okay, that's, that's good. He says, read on. Equip you with every good thing to do his will. And may he accomplish in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. I said, okay. Can you make this make sense for me? Because I'm going to have to talk about this in a few hours. And God likes to mess with me. I told you that. And how does this relate, God, to, to 
chapter, you know, you know, First Corinthians 12. How does it? How how's it relate back to the gifts? And he said, a good general does not send his troops out to war without first equipping them. A good general does not send his troops out to war without first equipping them to fight. He would not be a good general if he did not give us the ammunition, the rifles, the whatever else we would need to, to, to fight a war. Without the equipment that a soldier would need, I said, okay, I, I get that, I understand that. And this is kind of where I got it. Okay, so we're going to go back to Hebrews here for that verse, and it would equip you with every good thing. We talked about this about a year ago, about the word equip. And the whole thing about the word equip here is getting a ship ready for a voyage. Getting it outfitted with everything it would need, not only to take the voyage, but to complete the voyage. The gifts, and I realize we haven't really talked about what the gifts are yet, but we're, we're going to get there. Okay, and I promise you, we're going to get there, and it's going to be great. You know, but we we need to understand again that this is a this is a relationship, and gifts are expressed through that relationship, and so this is where we are. But those gifts, the ones that are mentioned in First Corinthians 12 and in other places, uh, are the, what is getting it ready for us to go on a voyage, to go into all the world and what? Make disciples. See, it all goes back to the gospel again. See, the gifts are meant for the common good, to, to help unite us as one, to build each other up, to get us ready to go on a voyage together to express what Jesus prayed for, the kind of love that he shared with the Father that he wanted to share with the world. This is amazing stuff. And that's why we can't set around the gifts yet. We have to understand the relationship that God wants us to understand. The Holy Spirit moves through us, giving us unity, working through us, and gifting us with what we need to follow His mission. Jesus does not send us off on mission without giving us the tools that we need to complete the mission. And that's what the gifts are for. If we... Um, I thought about... Maybe we maybe we need a definition for what a spiritual gift is. Then, if if this is what we're being equipped with, what's a good working definition of a of a? Oh, man, that means I'm supposed to stop. That's too bad. Um, and this is what I came up with. Never a, a, a spirit gift, a spiritual gift. The, the Greek meant by the spirit, the breath, one who is exposed to the wind. Here's my definition, kind of the way I worked out, as simple as I could come up with. A spiritual gift is the God-given supernatural ability to serve the body of Christ. Bless you. A spiritual gift is the God-given supernatural ability to serve the body of Christ. I have natural abilities. I, I am really talented in a lot of areas, thanks be to God. They are gifts of God as well. But they're not supernatural. 
They're just my natural abilities. We're talking about a supernatural move of God that you know when you minister in such a way, when you give of yourself in such a way that it was only God and he gets all the glory. See, I'm a great designer, and when someone gets a, a design by me, they usually praise me, and they say, no, this is one of the best things I've ever seen, and yada, 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 and I get a lot of praise for it. But you know what? I try to direct the glory to God, but usually I get all the credit in some way because it's my natural ability. But when I minister in such a way, here or in some place or one-on-one with someone, and, and there's a change in someone's heart or mind and spirit towards God, that he gets all the glory for. All the glory for. Because it wasn't me. It was a supernatural expression of his heart through someone. I like to tell the story of, and I think I've told you before, but it bears, it, it bears repeating right now. Uh, about 10 years ago, Christine and I were involved in this counseling ministry, and there was one couple that we were counseling, and and these sessions ran long. They were like three hours long of intensive stuff, some really heavy-duty inner work. And then during our time with the husband of this group, um, God expressed him so, his love so mightily to this man, and he received such freedom. It was unbelievable what God was doing. I mean, the, the, the layers of, of regret and layers of pain that God was peeling back and healing during his three hours was was amazing and remarkable. And it was only God. After the session, and we said goodbye to this person and just prayed for them, I cried for 45 minutes straight because the love of God was so in me, I couldn't contain it anymore. And I had to release it. It's amazing. That was supernatural. I got no glory from that because it was all Him. But I, I go back to that in my mind because... It, until this day, I have never felt the presence of God like I did that day. But see, that's a gift. That, see, God was using that particular gift was a word of knowledge, a three hours long word of knowledge for this man to him receive life and freedom. And see, this is what the gifts are for, to build up the body. This man left stronger in his relationship with God, healthier in himself, in mind, spirit, and soul, and was not the same ever again. That's all God. Only God can bring that kind of freedom. You see, if, and if the, my general did not give me the weapons that I needed to go against the enemy that day, see, that's what I'm talking. It's supernatural. It's not just, look, I, I can talk to people. You know I can talk. I can talk to people one-on-one in groups, and I can, and I can counsel people. Uh, you know, God has afforded me you know, many years of experience, which has taught me some stuff. That's nice. That's good. That makes people feel better for about an hour, maybe. But the Spirit of God speaking through me, or you, you know this. You've experienced this. Maybe you haven't recognized this, but you, when you spoke to someone, something was coming over, you were almost like looking at yourself going, who is that man speaking? Who is that woman speaking? And that person leaves going, they're told their countenance is different. Their, their, their appearance is different. And then they... Their, their life is different afterwards. Now, that's God. This is what Paul's talking about. Saying, you know, these, this is the common good that he's talking about. See, that we build each other up with this, that we, we're excited when somebody else moves this way. We go, wow, praise God. Look at that moment. Look, at, look what God did. We don't get jealous of it. We don't get envious of it. 
hungry for it. We get hungry for it. But we get hungry because we want to know Him. We want to have more intimacy with Him. We want more of Him into me seeing so, so that there's a change in my heart, in my life. And then people notice there's a difference. Unity does this for us as a body of Christ. Because, you see, God, the Holy Spirit works corporately as well as he does individually. And that's what he's trying to express here. Is saying, you know what? I want you to be one. I want you to understand you're many parts. You don't lose your individuality. I don't want you to act just like each other in all ways. Please don't act like me. I don't, I don't, but I want you to realize how important you are to each other, how necessary you are for one another, I don't want you to lose your individuality. I want you to be you because I created you to be you. But I want you to be you and with him, with her, with each other. So that we're collectively stronger. We collectively walk in wisdom. We collectively walk in the spirit. We collectively, together as a body of believers, express Jesus Christ to the world out there. See, I want people to walk through those doors who have never ever been in here. And as soon as they walk in the doors, they haven't even met anyone yet, and they know God is here. That's what I, I think that's what everyone's desire is. Some of the reports I hear are really, really good. People will say, you know what, I felt like God was there. I felt loved. I felt welcomed. And that is wonderful. And believe me, I'm so grateful for those, for those reports. They're, they're really encouraging. But I want more. Because I think he wants more. And so, can I encourage you this morning with this last scripture to kind of wrap it up? Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ himself. Man, who is the head? From him the whole body is fitted and held together by every supporting ligament. As each individual part does its work, the body grows and builds itself up in love. Thank you for letting me go a little bit longer, but I just, I, I, I just, I have to, I have to, I have to complete this, otherwise I'm. I'm not going to be well for the rest of the day. Okay? <laughs> I love chapter 12. I love what it talks about unity. I love what it talks about the gifts being for the common good. What Paul is trying to get us to understand and to embrace about. It's about knowing the Holy Spirit. It's about hungering for more of Him so the gifts are released in us. And he says, yet I'm going to show you an excellent, a more excellent way. And that is, it goes into chapter 13, which is talked about the way of love. That, you know, if, you know, even if all these gifts are expressed, and, and we're walking in them, and, this, and the Corinthian church was walking in a lot of these gifts, he says, even if you're doing that, he says, if you don't have love, all, you, all you're doing is making noise. That's all you're doing. All you're doing is making noise. And that's why that scripture in Ephesians is so important. 
So I, what, what I, I suggest that you do, that you read chapter 12 again and, and read chapter 13 together this week. Ask God what it means to be unified with each other. What does it look like? I, I, I was going to go into that today, but I'm, I'm not going to. I don't, I don't want me to define what it looks like. I want God to define what it looks like for each one of us. And I want us to start to say, okay, if that's what it looks like, then how do I walk that out? How do I walk that out? And I guarantee you, as, and, I, and I'm not saying there's disunity in this church. I'm not suggesting that. Please don't hear that. I believe we are unified. I believe we can become more unified because I think that's what Jesus prayed for. But sometimes I think we get lost in the sauce and we forget the we maybe think the part that we're playing in the body of Christ is unimportant. And it's not. Everything that God has asked you to do or is asking you to do is essential for the health of this particular body and, believe it or not, the big C capital church. See, it's, this is what the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit. We become a lot bigger than what we think we are. Our influence becomes a lot farther than what we think it is. So don't think small. Think big. Our God is big. But look at this and say, God, define what unity is supposed to look like for me. And then show me how to express that to my, to my brothers and sisters that I'm in community with here. And then maybe... Take it a little bit further and say, okay, what's this, what's this corporately look in the big C church then? Be brave and ask that of God. God wants to show you that. Because that's what God is asking for, unity. Not, you know, we look at unity, okay, my small body believers, I want to be unified with us. Yes, I do. I, I want to be unified with you guys. But I realize that the calling to be unified goes beyond even this wonderful small body of believers we have here. There's, there's a corporateness. And all throughout this sermon prep time, I had this song running through my head. And I'm going to ruin another song for Lance. Imagine me and you, and you and me, so happy together. <laughs> It was going through my mind, and I'm saying, God, this is really funny, you know. But it's actually, I, I, I think that's what really makes God joyful and happy and glad when his sons and daughters are happy together. The scriptures say, Psalms 131, 133 once says, For it is good and pleasant, good and pleasant, when brothers dwell together in unity. I love you.